0: My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what what comes to mind?
1: Well, we should recognize that He is He is our life. Without Him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings we have fellowship we have just the joy with a heart that loves the scripture
0: all because of messiah what's that all because of messiah all because of messiah you sure messiah king of kings lord of lords yo It's Wednesday, January 23rd, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 250. January, and I'm already pumped for Passover. My name is Caleb Haig.
1: And I'm Rob Vanoff, and I'm pumped before Passover because it looks like I'm going to be uh, having the, the joy and privilege to go to Israel and give another paper at Hebrew Uyo. yo
0: I'm excited for you, man. And we want to welcome my father, Tim Haig. Welcome, Dad. But, glad to be here. Yes, absolutely. So... Um, <laughs> Allison, stink, does it still count? Yes, it, first, still counts Okay, uh, yeah, Rob's going to Israel And uh, thank you all for your prayers on that We uh, we asked for prayers for Rob That he would be able to uh, figure out whether or not He's going to go back to the Hebrew U And present on the Mazorah section And uh, looks like he's he's packing his bags And it's really, really soon, right? Uh, April Before Passover Yeah, yeah spring, April 6th like Before Passover, yeah I only know that because I'm actually we were talking about doing a Messiah Matters uh uh show over at Heart of Messiah in Spokane when I'm gonna be there on vacation. And uh, that was gonna be really fun. And then I knew that I was like, ah, I gotta get out of town. Yeah, okay, exactly. Rob was like, I'm out, I'm leaving. So um <laughs> now we're we're excited for Robin. We're uh we're I'm you know what, it'll be good nonetheless because uh our group <laughs> We we I think I already mentioned this. We decided to go on vacation and uh, we started asking a couple of friends, "Hey, we're going to be in Idaho. Do you want to come? Do you want to come?" And the group just kept going, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think right now on the list, I don't think everybody's going to come, but on the list we got about thirty people. <laughs> that are all going to descend on Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And uh, during that time, I, our group, however many of us there will be, we're going to go visit Heart of Messiah, and we're very excited to... Uh, and unfortunately, Rob won't be there, so I'm going to strong-arm the teacher and 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 uh, and ask the hard questions. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. <laughs> um, okay, well, welcome everyone who is in the chat room. It's very good to see people. we got people from all the way from Australia, uh, England, uh, Canada... All over the place. So it's, uh, it's and the Netherlands, I'm sorry, and the Netherlands. Good to, good to have the Netherlands with us. Um, so we are very happy to have everyone here. And before I forget, uh, let's just make a huge shout out to all of our supporters. Thank you so much for supporting the show. You can do so as, for as little as $5 a month. That's right, for as little as the price of a latte. You can support this show and have access to Messiah Matters more with all sorts of great content. Extra content that we don't publish anywhere else. So, um, yeah, and then also our producers. Uh, we're so grateful to our producers, and uh, we're thankful that you have helped support us, and we hope that the coffee that you drink out of the mugs that we send you tastes even better. Um, okay, and with that said, let's just uh, do this also real quick. Oops, wrong button, but that's okay. Uh, become part of the conversation. Seahag at com is our email address. It's seahag at Resource. <clears throat> Dot com. You can also give us a call on our comment line and you won't talk to anybody. You just, you can say whatever you want. You can yell at us. You can love us. You can do whatever you want. 253 465 3205. It's 253 465 3205. We have gotten some great comments recently on our comment line and we are very happy for that. And we will, uh, I promise that we're getting them and I promise that we are uh, going to respond to them. There's so much going on right now at Torah Resource, including, uh, and one of the reasons that my father's on today my father has given, uh, this was a a strategic move for, for him, uh, that I suggested that he create a, a lecture series and then present it everywhere he went in all of 2018. So he actually gave the lecture series, I don't know, two or three times at least. Um, and I was able to sit in on, on two of them and then I edited the whole series as well. So I've actually heard the series probably three times, um, at the minimum. And, uh, I, I think it's probably one of the better ones. And we'll talk about that series. It's all in the Holy Spirit. The reason I say that is because I think that the, the topics that were, that were uh, addressed are the ones that everyone asks all the time. And so th- those kind of series are always the, the very important ones. Um, before we get to that, though, let's, add, let's uh, look at some other questions real quick. And uh, Well,
1: hey, before that even, I just yes. wanted to acknowledge, because I took a peek at our chat room, we've got representation Netherlands, Israel, UK, Australia, is Alabama, that Alabama. Alabama.
2: <laughs> I'm glad the Netherlands are here because I've been reading Abram Kuyper, and go. Uh, yeah, I just got another book that uh, I'm I'm interested in his theology, and it's he's got a lot of good things to say. Oh,
1: cool! Hey, all right, well, We're, welcome I, from around the God's big green earth. This from is from around a, the world. If, yeah, if you
2: don't know, uh, Abram Kuyper was. Uh, I don't know what the term is in the Netherlands, but like prime minister for a while. Yeah, so.
0: Um, don't overlook <laughs> North Carolina. we hear Not and, at all. Co- and Costa Rica. Man, see, hollow. <laughs> ah, uh, yes. So
1: are we, can we all agree that the Earth is flat but can everybody at once just go out and look at, and we'll Very just vague. acknowledge that the sun's in the same place in all not, our skies? Let's not even start. Um, okay. okay,
0: so uh, I will mention this real quick. Before we jump into theological issues, last week we had a lot of uh, audio technical problems. I apologize for that. I, I think I got them worked out. However, we had to move back to Skype because Google Hangouts is going away. And what? I, I, yep, I just I, learned that. It's it's going away October of 2019. So um, we're back to Skype, and the last time we were with Skype, we had issues. So Lord willing, we will not have those issues. Um, Okay, let's jump right in. Uh, What does it? uh, This was uh, this was actually left as a comment on the Torah Resource Facebook page. Uh, It was a private message, not a comment. What does Yeshua mean when he was on the cross dying and he said, it is finished? I don't believe he was saying everything was complete in the law, so we don't have to follow that anymore. I'd be grateful if you could tell me what that means. Well, we talked about this for about five minutes before we came on air, and uh, I, it's always hard to reproduce conversations. But uh, Rob, start us off with your general, general gist of what you think that means. Caleb, you got me. I was typing in the chat room. <laughs> you have no clue where we are, do you? He has no clue what I just said. <laughs>
1: I put, I just typed in, I said, we need a map of the world with little flags for each listener's location.
0: And he's and 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 what I said, it, it's like he wasn't even on online. I'm okay, embarrassed. Let's try it again. Me. This is why, okay. this is why Rob's not allowed in the chat room. Get out of the <laughs> chat room.
1: <laughs> okay, I I will. I'm gonna sign off. Seriously, okay. I'm, what does it mean? Uh, I'm totally up.
0: <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? Me. <laughs> it is finished. Go. Oh, to tell
1: us thy. It is the word. You know, it's in the. I think that's only in John, right?
2: I believe uh, so. Yes, that's
1: in yep. John, and, and in the Synoptics, we have uh, Yeshua at least were recorded the beginning of of a rec- what seems to be a recitation of Psalm 22, um, which is a beautiful psalm. Uh, you should read the whole psalm and understand that Yeshua's thoughts uh, at that moment probably uh, cohere to the entirety of the psalm, not just the 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 sentiment of the first line there. But uh, in any event. <clears throat> I see uh, it as uh, Yeshua expressing that he has done in in the incarnation. He has uh, come to the the full end of of his act of obedience in his ministry on earth. Um, and he's already. I mean, we know from the garden where he's weeping and and, and sweating drops, even of blood, and he said, "My." my soul is is uh, uh uh weary even unto death i mean he's already experiencing they haven't even beat him yet or or any of the horrible uh scourging or whipping or mocking or spitting or any of those things haven't even happened yet and he is his soul is is already bearing a, a weight that we can't even fathom and especially when his disciples uh you know can't stay awake with him to pray so Uh, But I see it that he that he has indeed been obedient breath by breath, thought by thought, step by step the entire walk uh, of his life. And uh, he's this is the last word of of the completion of this offering, not just of his being on the cross, but of all his his earthly ministry, all he ever taught, all he ever healed, um, his rebukes, his uh, gentleness, all these things were uh, comprehensively come to, to their fulfillment. There was nothing left undone um, in terms of that, the earthly side. Um, but then to, I think it's in Luke, he says, into, into your hands I, I commit my, my spirit. So mm-hmm. um, now that doesn't mean, of course, still uh, ascension and, inter- and ongoing intercession are yet to come. So those, we wouldn't include those, in terms of, of what Yeshua is saying is finished. Um, and I would just say also that this, this has to do with a, a necessary um, term of the Brit Chadasha, right? The Yeshua offering his life. And so this is a, a necessary uh, building block to the long term or the big picture uh, produce. Of goodness of blessing uh that will that is still yet to come okay it was necessary so i'm going to hand over to tim because i i think tim will do
2: i i agree with you and i think it it has to do primarily with the the fact of the one who is eternal in his life experiencing human death but experiencing it in a way that is greater than any other human because he is without sin in other words uh, death is the result of sin. He has not sinned, so he has an he has an infinite holiness in his life, and he's giving that up to death. You know, I think it's it's very interesting that it says in Philippians two, he became obedient to death. We don't have that option. Death will come and take us according to God's timing of our lives and so forth. But he voluntarily gave himself up to death. And so uh, I think I think it's interesting too that we discover in um, Greek literature that uh, at least as best I can tell that in the uh, in the Olympic races when a race when the uh, runner came across the finish line, came into the city, and came across the finish line, he also yelled to Telestai the same thing that Yeshua did. In other words, the race that Yeshua was in was the giving of his life, and now it had come to the point where it would be finished. And I think another um, uh, reality that we read in John 17, uh, verse 4, this is, and he puts it in past tense, because he's, uh, in, in John 17, it's as though he has already ascended, because he says, I'm no longer on the earth. Right. You know, in other words, he's transported himself, as it were, to the finish line and beyond the finish line. And he says, I have glorified you, speaking to the Father, on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So when he sees that, when he, when he envisions the coming yeah. death, that is, he has accomplished that uh, unspeakable and, and, and unfathomable gift of, of life given for us that only he could give.
0: Right.
1: Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. And back to just one point, Tim, that you just made to underscore, there was no, no condemnation. The Torah had no condemnation on Yeshua, on everybody else it does we are under the condemnation unless we are unless we participate by by yeshua's grace in his resurrection life we are under the con uh, the, the enduring condemnation of the torah as transgressors and death right. is the pe- and death is right. the right and just uh reward of that yeshua was not uh under that penalty right. as a transgressor and so um and, so then, and in one moment he says, "I could, I could call uh, twelve, what twelve legion of angels, or twelve thousand, yeah, you know," yeah. and they, you know, in other words, he, uh, this back to this idea of obedience unto death. This was the Father's will that this was the the way that redemption and atonement would would be accomplished. And Yeshua, um, he was obedient.
2: Right. And this always raises the question: What does it mean then when it says, "In the fullness of time, He came, born of a woman"? born under the Torah, and it means under the condemnation of the Torah, not for his own sin, but for the sins of those that he would take upon himself and pay the penalty for.
1: And, and, and the, not that he ever sinned, but if in the same way, anyone born under the Torah, if you sin, you are subject to the penalty that the Torah prescribes, right? Right. Um, So.
0: Okay, Good let's wow. let's let's move on, uh, just because we got a lot to cover here. Um, we have actually talked about dispensational and covenant theology before on this show. I can't believe we already discussed this, but we're going to do it again. Um, so somebody <laughs> has has uh, asked this question. Some have wondered what the difference is between covenant theology. And what we believe in. And what we believe in would be, uh, you know, we've used the term enlargement theology. That's not exactly going to be to relate to what we're talking about today. When it comes to the covenants and the way that we, that we at Torah Resource see the covenants, it's much more of what would be termed promise theology, which was put forth by Walter Kaiser. Now, Kaiser, um, for those who are aware of Kaiser and uh, his one, I mean, he's a fantastic scholar and a, a wonderful just a wonderful human being in general. He's, he's a lot of fun to talk to and listen to. Um, with that said, Kaiser believes in something that we certainly reject called built-in obsolescence. I'll let my dad talk a little bit about that. So for now, I'm going to throw this question to my father. What is the difference between covenant theology and promise theology, which we believe in?
2: Okay, first of all, I'd like to say that enlargement theology is, I think, an excellent term because it it hits at the very heart of these different theologies. Let me start with covenant theology. Covenant theology came out of the Reformation, and it, it has as its central issue, what is Israel, or who is Israel? And it was beyond the scope of the Reformers, Calvin, uh, Luther, uh, Zwingli, and some of the rest, um, to think that God was going to continue on with Israel in the future because Israel had rejected Messiah Yeshua and and Israel wanted him crucified and so forth and so on Um, and that unfortunately is not the case it wasn't Israel as a nation clearly it was individuals within that nation but nonetheless if you read Isaiah and the prophets Israel does not come out looking very well except for a future prophecy when God would turn the heart of Israel take the heart of stone out and put the heart of flesh in But the Reformers said, that just doesn't make sense. And the Reformers, remember, had um, adopted an allegorical uh, interpretation of the Scriptures. So they said, God has moved from Israel to something brand new, which they termed as the Church. So most of the Reformers were pretty set on a uh, a replacement theology or supersessionism. Now, the question is, what do you do then with the eternal covenants that are made? When you read the covenants that made with Abraham, when you read the covenant that's made with Israel at Sinai, it says in chapter 31 of Exodus, it says that the uh, Sabbath is the uh, the eternal sign of the covenant. It will always be. So what do you do when you have these covenant? How about the Davidic covenant, okay? So you have this covenant made with David that there would never cease to be a a descendant from his line sitting upon the throne. What do you do with that? Well, the reformers, pretty much allegorized it and said, oh, that's now talking about the church. So this is where they came up with covenant theology. What they did was they took the historical covenants. And if we, I don't believe there's a historical covenant made with Adam, but some would, and the reformers believe that. They believe there was an Adamic covenant, which they called the covenant of works. Now, why did they say that? Because it was given as it were to Adam and Eve, this idea. If you obey, you'll live forever. If you disobey, you'll die. So they took that as a covenant, but there's no covenant language there. Okay. Then they postulated an eternal covenant between the, the the members of the Trinity, the father, the son, and the spirit, that there was a covenant of redemption. And that covenant of redemption was a covenant that the father made with the son and the son accepted it, that Yeshua accepted it, that he would come incarnate, that he would die and he would secure redemption for those whom God had chosen. And the spirit covenanted with this covenant redemption um, to apply what Yeshua had done to those who would be saved. Okay, so that was the covenant redemption. Then they lumped the covenant of uh, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant uh, and the new covenant together as the covenant of grace. The covenant of grace was made between God and the elect or those who would be saved. And so they took the historical covenants and made them into theological covenants, non-physical, non-historical, but beyond history, that is, in eternity. And so then they begin to take things from the physical covenants, that the historical covenants, and apply them to the church— where do you suppose pedo baptism came from? Right, <laughs> you know, uh, baptizing a, a baby or a, a child. The reformers taught those who held the covenant theology that because on the basis of circumcision, when a, a when a boy child was uh, born in Israel and he was circumcised, did he become part of the covenant? Yes. How do we know that? Because it says, "One who is not circumcised will be cut off from the covenant." Okay. So they said, well, how does that apply now to the church and taking these historical covenants and making them into theological covenants or covenants of of, uh, eternity? And they said, well, therefore, baptism replaces circumcision. And they took this from Colossians, where it says that you have been circumcised with the circumcision of the Messiah through baptism. Um, I firmly believe they totally misunderstood or mis represented or interpreted that text. But nonetheless, they said, okay, baptism. So what does baptism do for an infant? It brings him into the covenant of grace, but the covenant of grace is not affirmed in that person until they themselves affirm it by their statement of faith. And that's what the uh, the covenant theology churches would call confirmation, okay? Uh, so th- that that was essentially setting Israel aside and they would say, no, Israel is done. Israel has been done away. The church is the new Israel. So now when you read those promises in Isaiah about the wonderful rebuilding of Jerusalem and the wonderful coming back of Zion and the beautiful things that God is going to do for, for Israel, it's really talking about the church. Now, uh, if I can just, I don't know, am I taking too long you're here? Go. No, okay. Good. The, there was a reaction to that uh, at the time, uh, late 1800s, early 1900s, a major reaction to it in a school that came to be known as dispensationalism. Primarily, uh, this was a, a question of interpretation. The dispensationalists wanted to interpret the Bible, or I should say the early dispensationalists, Darby, uh Schofield, if you're familiar with the Schofield Study Bible, the Schofield Notes were a huge uh, method by which dispensationalism was uh, disseminated uh, in Europe and in England and so forth. Um, They said, wait a minute, you you can't just allegorize. If you allegorize these uh, historical covenants, then what right do we have not, you know, to try to take the historical facts of, of Yeshua, of Jesus, and others, we are we supposed to allegorize those too? So they were set against allegorization of the, of the Bible, and by the way, Dallas Theological Seminary became a hallmark for this new movement of dispensationalism. You know, in the more recent years, it's kind of uh, uh, changed a bit on that, but none the, on the, nonetheless, Dallas Theological Seminary was the beacon for dispensational teaching, and a great many of the uh, Uh, graduates that came from there that became pastors and and authors and so forth put forward this dispensational. Now, what is the dispensational view? The dispensational view is this, that all of history, all of earth's history can be divided into seven periods or seven dispensations. Okay. Isn't Isn't that perfect? You know, just get seven of them. All right. But here's the crux of dispensationalism. It is that God requires different things of his people, that he he defines righteousness, righteous living differently in each of these seven dispensations, okay? And so what he required in one dispensation, he doesn't require in the other. This allowed the dispensationalists to say, there's a future for Israel, but it's not for us now, okay? In other words, what the reformers were concerned about was uh, and I was just reading this in a book that I, well, I was at a used bookstore uh, yesterday, surprise, surprise. And uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, there, there was a book there that was, it was a commentary on Matthew, and it said, The Torah for the Church. And I thought, it was the subtitle. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. So I open it up, and I go immediately, of course, to uh, uh, Matthew 5:17 through 20 to see how he uh, wanted to take that. And he made it very clear. Now, he says, I want to make sure that you understand the sabbath the sabbaths the festivals the uh, kosher laws etc cetera, etc cetera, are only for jewish people not for the church i'm thinking okay wait a minute aren't there jews in the church but anyway i put it back on the shelf the dispensationalist said can we have it both ways Can we have a time where God does not require us to keep Sabbath, to eat kosher, to do all of these quote unquote Jewish things, and still have a strong future for national Israel? They did it by saying in the church age, and the church age starts when? It starts at Acts 2, Pentecost, okay, the giving of the Spirit. And when does it end? At the rapture, when the church is taken out of the world. and the millennium or wh- however they, you want to say it starts starts up. So the church age, during the church age, and I've been told this directly to my face uh, by a good dispensationalist, um, in the church age, when a Jew comes to faith and joins the church, he or she is no longer a Jew. So when the rapture comes, all of the people that are truly part of the church will be taken out of the earth. And that includes Jews and non-Jews. And it is taught, it's better for Jews to be part of the church than it is to be part of Israel. Because Israel's going to go through Jacob's troubles, Israel's going to go through the Great Tribulation, et cetera, et cetera, from the dispensational viewpoint. So basically, what dispensationalism did in one case was good it turned the church back to consider Israel as a nation and the future of Israel, where covenant theology had dismissed Israel as a future people. <clears throat> had replaced it. So it, dispensationalism did away with so-called replacement theology, but there's still this stickler. And here we are in the messianic movement, if you want to call it that. Um, we are now saying, no, wait a minute. Why do you have to set those things aside? Why can't we participate and shouldn't we participate? So do we see a future for Israel? Yes. Do we see that everyone who is of uh, born again from above should be have a heart that says, Lord, I want to obey what you have given me by way of commandments, and that that, those commandments are given to us in all of the scriptures, not just, you know, the latter half or the latter third. And so when you say enlargement theology, I think it's right. In other words, we're not saying that Jews become non-Jews when they accept Yeshua. We're not saying that non-Jews become Jews when they accept Yeshua. What we're saying is, is that God in his putting together the ecclesia through the death of Yeshua, uh, Yeshua said, I will build my ecclesia and the gates of hell, Hades, will not even prevail against it, which on a side should tell us that the gates of hell would like to prevail against it, but won't. Uh, And so what is that? It is this. It is the completing, the fulfilling, can we say, the enlarging of the promise made to Abraham. In your seed, that we know that's Yeshua, right? Because in Galatians, Paul makes a nice little midrash on that. The word Zerah in the Hebrew is always singular, except for one time, I know for sure, and I think there's two. Uh, it's plural. But why is it always singular? Because it is collective, okay? But Paul makes a nice little uh Midrash on that, if we can say it. He says, he doesn't say as to seeds, meaning plural, but he says as to seed, that is the Messiah. In the Messiah, the promise to Abraham is fulfilled. And what is that promise? In your seed, in Yeshua, all the nations and in other places, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's enlargement. And what is it when the families of the earth are blessed? It is this, that we come to live in a way more and more as God intends, which means what? We obey his commandments. What does John say in his first epistle? What is sin? Sin is lawlessness. (laughs) So uh, the Sabbath is that continual mark of the covenant or symbol of the covenant, seal of the covenant that is eternal, that God has made with Israel and with all those with the, the remnant of Israel, I must say, that it is the believing remnant of Israel and all those that would be grafted into this so that even, and this is the, I'm, I'm finish here. This is the amazing thing. In chapter three of Ephesians, you can tell that we've been in Ephesians for our Wednesday night studies, but in Ephesians, it, it indicates that those, the heavenly realm is not given information. They don't know what's coming next. We think that they know far more than we do. You know how they find out what God is doing? By watching us. So it says, so that in in the ecclesia, even the heavenly realm will know, will understand, will give glory to God for what he's doing. And what is he doing? He's completing his promise to Abraham that in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise. The promise is made to uh, Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. It's repeated four more times in Genesis explicitly. It continues to be repeated throughout the prophets, throughout the writings, until we finally come to the Gospels and we see the birth of the Messiah. And we now know that this promise theme is being fulfilled
0: in him uh real quick rob you're muted still um so i one of the things i want to uh then turn to and you've already somewhat explained it but let's let's focus in we mentioned the term promise theology which is put forward by uh dr kaiser explain a little bit about what promise theology is and how that fits into everything basically what what is promise theology
2: all right i'll just say this that the whole um the primary impetus for forming a theology like covenant theology or dispensational theology is to find a unified thread or a unified principle that unifies the whole of Scripture. In other words, we believe that the Scriptures are never self-contradictory, that they weren't piecemeal put together by whomever. God, in His uh, grace and by His Spirit, inspired the, the Scriptures. So it is one whole story, a whole piece of cloth how is it then theologically we see that unified uh, message? Well, back to our covenant theology, they would say it's the promise of the church. The church is what uh, unifies it, okay? The ultimate promise of the church. The dispensationalists would say, it's God's active work in every dispensation. So we see him working one way here, a different way here, and another way in another dispensation, and we see his hand in each of these. Promise theology says no. It's not only God's work, but it's specifically God's work in, in in revealing the promise, and actually the promise begins all the way back in Genesis 3.15, right? The seed of the woman, whoever the seed of the woman would be, would be one who would overcome the terrible things that have happened with sin entering into the world. All right, so if we're reading the Bible for the first time, and we have no back story no knowledge of it and we read that and we read it carefully we go oh there's a promised one now let's who is that so immediately you begin looking right and you think okay well it's noah oh no it's not noah oh it's abraham no it's not abraham oh well it must be isaac because isaac is the son of promise no it's not isaac either well it certainly can't be jacob look what he's like You know, so you go along in the story and then comes Joseph. Joseph wears a white hat. I mean, everything he does is right. Everything is good. You think it's Joseph. Nope. You come to the end of Genesis and it says the scepter shall not depart from Judah. (laughs) Whoa, wait a minute. So now you start reading the historical, you know, the history, the, the early prophets. And you begin to say, please tell me, who is it? Who is it? And that's what, that's how God has put the scriptures together. We keep looking. We keep waiting for him. And in our one of our classes at Tor Resource Institute this quarter, I'm teaching on Christology, and we've been discussing messianic expectation. Absolutely. People who try to deny that aren't reading the scriptures and aren't reading history. So by the time you come to the first century already, you know, somebody like John is saying, are you the coming one? Are you the promised one? Or do we wait for another? There was this expectation. Why? Because throughout the scriptures of the Tanakh, this promise theme, the promise of this coming one, and that's what Kaiser's saying. It weaves everything together. If you have this in mind, you read the psalms with new eyes. Right. You read all of these things with a new perspective and it's a wonderful perspective <clears throat> that then is fulfilled as we see Yeshua coming and then the story of of his work and ultimately the apostles uh, uh, putting the final kind of uh, uh, hammer, the last nail in as to what that promise ultimately means. And there's Rob. a real,
1: real good uh, footnote to put here with respect to John chapter four and and the Samaritan woman, yeah. Because this expectation, she says, we know the Messiah will come. Well, right. what we remember is that the Samaritans did not have any of the Nevi'im. They didn't accept the Davidic dynasty. They didn't accept any of the prophets. They had their own version of a of a Torah. So they, they, in other words, the Samaritans viewed themselves as, you know, we keep the Mosaic Covenant, we have the Torah of Moses, even though we can nitpick on, no, it was altered and things like that. Their conception as a peoplehood cohered with this underlying tradition and conviction. And even she had this expectation right. of a coming Messiah, even right. independent of the Jewish tradition of... Right the Psalms and the Prophets and the writings, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is even just another little data point to say this expectation even was older than whatever split there might've been between the, the yeah. Samaritans in the North, you know, so.
2: Yeah, and how many times does Paul and other apostles go back to the Torah? They quote the Torah right. as the foundation for, for the, the theology they're teaching, the truth they're teaching.
0: Absolutely. Okay, we have actually quite a bit of time left, and so I want to uh, shift gears now. I hope that that conversation has um, helped uh, inform people maybe a little bit of the differences between dispensational theology, covenant theology, promise theology, and enlargement theology. Um, Before we shift, can I ask one more question? Of course. Tim, because you, you you said there's value,
1: th- there's value what I heard you say in both the term promise theology as well as enlargement. Um, is that just? Do you see that as just an, a shift in aspect? It's just a shift of a viewpoint, but we're talking no. about the same yeah. thing, or no?
2: Actually, uh, the fact of the matter is that as much as we all appreciate uh, Dr. Kaiser and we try to speak to him whenever we can at the ETS meetings and SBL meetings, uh, just a tremendous man, as as uh, Caleb has said, um, and, a, and just a giant of a scholar. But he doubt. still, but he still does not believe in future Israel. He does not. His promised theology. Does not lead him to say there's a coming time when the nation of Israel is going to be the spirits going to be poured ap- out upon the nation upon the people the descendants of Jacob however you want to determine that and uh, so, so forth and and but enlargement theology sees that
0: I, I, enlargement I, 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 I might I might disagree with that just in the case that you know when I when I talked to Kaiser after his um, after his uh, lecture this past ETS and and actually he presented on something that you present on in your uh, in your uh, uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit uh, he said the new covenant is not for the church, the new covenant is for Israel God never made yep. the new covenant with the church so this leads me, to, the, the biggest problem I see with, with Kaiser's theology is that he believes in built-in obsolescence, that is that there are there are built-in triggers to stop certain commandments like Sabbath, like kosher laws um, and we see that within, he thinks that we see that within the apostolic scriptures. Um, but I I think he has major problems with that.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, my conversation with him, not recently, but in past years, it seemed to me that what he was saying is clearly the new covenant is with the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Okay. But he takes that to mean the in, the end gathering of those people into the church, in other words, they're going to come to faith sure. in the church. There's going to be a revival at the end of, of times before whenever that the church is going to be enlarged by the incoming uh, – by the salvation of many, then, many Jewish And people. then
1: they cease being Israel yeah, or Jews right, at that
2: time. Right. At that point, they're, they're okay. the church. So hmm. – but enlargement theology, as we have coined it, simply means that the – and it's all built on the olive tree metaphor, right? Right. The olive tree is Israel that is the remnant of Israel. Those unbelieving natural branches can be broken off. Now they can be grafted back in. So just because they're unbelieving at this time doesn't mean they may not be believing in in the future. Uh, So, but the wild branches are grafted in and the wild branches are grafted in and remain in through faith, even as the remnant of Israel. So in a way, the olive tree is a picture of the true remnant uh, or the true people of God both those who are descendants of Jacob and those who are from the nations. It's the promise to Abraham again. And that's why I take the root to be the Abrahamic promise. In other words, it's God working his sovereign plan to bring, to bless all the nations of the earth. And so we see this as one people, not as, uh, you know, different, you know, uh, people or somehow a shift or a change in our identity in terms of the all nations of the earth. If all nations of the earth are not represented, God is not keeping his promise. So that's the that's the sticking point for all of these theologies. And frankly, it's the sticking point why we've all experienced this. I, I know I have, and my wife has, uh, our children have, and that is, you know, when you begin to walk in the ways of Torah, you have family members with good intentions saying you're going back under the law. You don't have to do that. You don't, you know, by, it's by faith. It's not by keeping the Sabbath. And we try to explain this. So the sticking point is when you begin to keep Torah, people look at you like something's wrong. Why? Well, because it identifies us together as one people and, uh, theologies have been, you know, morphed for hundreds of years, thousands of years, actually, um, so at any rate,
0: yeah. With such a discussion of, of Dr. Kaiser, I feel like we should uh, at least play a, a clip from him. I think that view he is headed for a deep mischief. Okay, let's <laughs> move on. Um, and, <laughs> uh, I love Dr. Kaiser. What was that? Do you remember your question, Caleb? I don't. And I, I could go back and listen to it. It's We have all of our uh, interviews. And I interviewed Dr. Kaiser in San Diego uh, several years ago. And uh, that's where that quote comes from. And uh, (laughs) um, I I need to go back and listen to that interview. It's been so long, I I don't even remember what I asked him. I think that was in 2014. Um, So it's been a while. Okay, um, 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Give us a call and leave a comment on our comment line. You can also shoot us an email, chegg at torahresource.com. That's C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Let's move on. My father... Has oh, when I say let's move on, let's actually yes, there we go. Okay, um, my father has put together a lecture series which he uh, which he presented at at several different places uh, in 2018. Uh, one of those was uh, Torah Resource Institute Family Camp. We went to Ontario and uh, he gave all five lectures. Um, he did uh, one of the lectures both in Colorado Springs and in uh, Denver, Colorado um and before we jump into uh this series and kind of what your goal was i'll ask you a couple questions about this series but before we do that i'm going to uh list off the uh i'll give you a little, i'll give all of our listeners a little bit of information about the series itself first of all there's five lectures in uh, dvd format or video format um we've also put them in audio format for people who just want to listen on the go uh, right now, it's, it's scheduled to release on February 4th, and that's when uh, we will start sending out the DVDs. If you want to pre-order it, you can do that today on TourResource.com. It's in the uh, video and audio section of our store. Um, and actually, I probably need to relabel it. It's, it's under The, unfortunately. It should be under Holy Spirit, but it's under The Holy Spirit. I will change that probably by, I don't know, today or tomorrow. Um, and uh, these, are, I'm going to give the the topics of the five lectures that were given. The first lecture is the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, second one is did the Holy Spirit indwell believers before Acts two. This is the lecture, uh, also a lecture that uh, Kaiser touched on at this year's ETS, which is very good, and he has a paper on this. However, my father's lecture is longer and more in depth. Uh, I believe that is a 45, maybe an hour long lecture. The third lecture in the series is Tongues, a Biblical Investigation, and uh, a hot topic and one that's controversial. And, and actually, that's uh, maybe another reason I really like this series is because a lot of it uh, might be seen as controversial. Um, praying in the Spirit is the fourth lecture. What does it mean to be uh, to pray in the Spirit? And the fifth lecture, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Um, so talk a little bit, uh, Dad, about the reason that you chose these topics and um, obviously, uh, some of the re- uh, we got some interesting feedback um, at every single place that you that you gave one of these lectures. There was always a little pushback. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, I think that is, uh, and I don't despise that at all. And in fact, I appreciate it. Um, there, there is clear evidence that the so-called current messianic movement—I don't know what else to call it—began. Um, Uh, You know, back with the Chernoffs and others in the 60s, and many of those who were in the Christian church, some who were Jewish by upbringing and so forth, felt the need to retain their Jewishness and so forth. They were looking for a way to reach out to their unbelieving Jewish friends and family, and they decided it was time to start this this messianic movement in the sense of bringing into their faith in the Messiah— Uh, the elements of some traditional Judaisms and so forth and so on. The reality is, is that many who were in some of the mainline Christian churches, for instance, the Baptist churches, said, no, that's not right. Don't do that. Um, Also in Lutheran and some of the, uh, you know, even Roman Catholic and so forth, they said, no, you're, you're leaving the church. You should not leave the church. You should stay with us, so forth and so on. However, in some of the charismatic uh, uh, congregations, there was this openness to new things because it was the openness to new things that actually fueled the charismatic movement, a willingness to say, well, maybe we've lost something, maybe we've missed something. So many of the early, early uh, pioneers in this movement were from charismatic uh, congregations, communities, however you want to say it. And they brought into their messianic Judaism, if they wanted to call it that, that view of the charismatic movement with regard to the person and work of the spirit. And um, it's, I, I, I think it's always valid for us to take whatever we're doing and put it against the scriptures and see if there is uh, good support for what we're doing. And so uh, I've come, I, you know, it and please understand, I'm not against my brothers and sisters who hold a different view on some of these things. I think, in some ways, the charismatic movement had a very important impact upon a church, in at large, that was maybe going into their tradition more than into uh, an experience uh, with the very presence of God. So I'm I'm not against that, but so, that was kind of yeah. You know. uh,
0: so when we were in Ontario, which by the way we have people, we have s- uh, several different people who were uh, in uh, at the Ontario lectures <clears throat> that are in the chat room right now. Um, and, and I thought back and I thought, you know, there was a really good question that somebody, we had everybody write down questions at that uh, conference and uh, they, they were all put into a box. And I remembered that there was a really good question that was, that was posed and I was going to try to recreate it. And then I remembered, hey, I have all of the questions right here sitting in my desk. And uh, I pulled them out, and lo and behold, it's the very top one. This is what somebody asked, and I I want you to to answer this, because it might give people who are listening a better understanding of where you're coming from. This person said, how much of your belief concerning tongues and praying in the Spirit has to do with your Baptist background? We all come to this part with our own biases.
2: Well, on the the one hand, I can't deny whatsoever that my uh, upbringing, especially in at the feet of my father who himself was a very good scholar and uh, and a good pastor and a good preacher um, was very Baptist. And uh, I was raised saying that th- these kinds of things, uh, speaking in tongues uh, as it was done in the charismatic church or being consistently filled or emptied by the, sp- the spirit leaving and coming and so forth was not not true. So I came into my college years with that. But even in college, I was confronted with good friends who were from the charismatic uh, viewpoint, and they had a lot of uh, experience in things that they could say, how can you deny this? This happened to me, so forth and so on. So I began to investigate it more clearly. By the time I came into my seminary days, I had adopted the principle that I could not simply agree with uh, with things that I was brought up with unless it was on the, in the scriptures. Let me explain this in another way. Um, my father was a staunch dispensationalist. By the time before uh, he passed away and we had regular theological uh, discussions, um, he had come to the point where he was moderating. He said, I'm a moderate dispensationalism uh, dispensationalist. So I was raised with dispensationalism. And everything else was no, no not good. And I rejected it when i was uh, for myself, when I was in seminary, I even got called in by the president of the seminary who was questioning uh, why I was doing this, <laughs> and um, because the school itself was dispensational. So um, I can say that I, I think I honestly I'm more than willing to accept whatever the scriptures say and and understand those scriptures in a historical grammatical uh, interpretation. And if the scriptures say this is what God wants, I want it too. So I'm trying to my level best to come to this uh, somewhat controversial issues uh, based upon what I find in the scriptures.
0: Good. Okay. Well, we could go a lot of different ways. Let's see here. We have somebody who says, are my comments being ignored? (laughs) Well, let's see. Um, If Yeshua has to explain from the law and uh, the prophets and the Psalms to a couple of his disciples, isn't the same understanding needed now? okay well, I think that we have hindsight and we have the uh, apostolic scriptures, right? I mean one of the one of the big points for me is that Yeshua comes and we see this I, I've, my headspace has been a lot in Acts recently. and so um, I, I see this uh, particularly in Peters uh, in Peter's speeches, right At the end of, of Peter's speech in, in Acts three, sorry, I'll take this for a second. <laughs> in the end in the uh, end of, of Acts three, Peter says, heaven had to, had to uh, receive him until the time of when uh, all when uh, of repentance comes, right? I think refreshing, I'm, refreshing. I'm, yeah. yeah, refreshing yeah. Uh, and and uh, so I see this clearly as Peter has now understood the prophecies as he did not before, right? It's Peter that Yeshua says, "Get behind me, Satan." Why does he say that? Because Peter doesn't understand what what the the goal of the Messiah at that point is. Now, after uh, the Messiah rises and he explains to the men, the men uh, in uh, on the road to Emmaus. And just a sec, I froze up, and I'm not sure why. Um, uh, when he when he uh, appears the ro- uh, to the folks on the road to Emmaus, he describe he explains himself from the from the Tanakh and the and the Torah, and uh, all the prophecies that are coming. And I think that, that clearly by the time we get to Acts, Peter has an, a very strong grasp of this in his first spe- well, it's technically his sp- second speech in his first speech to those uh, who are not believers. He uh, he brings forth the prophecy of Joel. He talks about Isaiah, right? He's now walking through the prophecies, and he brings in the Psalms. And then in his second speech, when he's in the portico of Psalm uh, of Solomon, after he's uh, after he's healed the the uh, crippled, he once again goes to the Scripture. He brings out Moses. He brings out the servant greater than Moses. He goes to the to the Abrahamic Covenant into Abraham. So clearly by this point those who are writing the apostolic scriptures have a clear understanding of the prophecies and what has come about in, in regards to the Messiah Yeshua. So I think that we have a leg up as opposed to the people in the first century. Edward, I hope that that, uh, that answers your question.
2: Well, and the, the, the even the apostolic scriptures would indicate that, that, uh, they were giving the, the divine completion of this revelation. And, uh, uh, I'm not saying at all, we're not saying at all that we're not led individually by the Spirit of God in our personal lives. Absolutely, we are. But how do we know that it's the Spirit of God leading us when it's in concert with the
0: Scriptures? Right. Right. Okay.
2: In other words, let let me just say, last, what I mean by that is, you know, let's say, for instance, I'm seeking to know whether the Lord wants me to... um, uh, buy, you know, to purchase a house to live in or to rent, whatever. I'm looking for the spirits leading in that. We're not going to find anywhere in the Bible where it says, Tim, uh, buy the house. But what we're going to find are principles that basically say, these are the principles you should be guided by. Now, if all of these principles you can say yes to, uh, this, this is what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, and so forth and so on, and it's wise, I've gotten counsel from others, and they say, I think it's, it's a good thing to do, then I can trust that that's the Spirit of God leading me to do this in accordance with what, uh, the principles that He's given us in His Word.
0: Um,
1: okay. Uh, Rob, do you have anything to add? I would just say on that last point, Tim, uh, isn't that just a, a specific instance of... biblical hermeneutics, right? How we interpret the scripture. And the Lord Lord wants us to grow as disciples, right? So even though our our righteousness doesn't increase, right? we, we We have Messiah's righteousness. However, John 15, you mentioned John 17 earlier, John 15, Yeshua says we will get pruned and that's, that involves the correction, the instruction, the right. things that we need individually so right. that we would be more fruitful. So right. we're not just – it's not that, okay, I'm righteous because I'm in Messiah, and now, boom, I'm just this static thing. No, I'm a – live. again, again, Yeshua is using uh, the vocabulary of life, right. right? Even the seed of Abraham, right, is this idea of a, something that grows and bears fruit. And how – I look at hermeneutics, how we read and, and pray. We trust the Ruach to guide us in truth according to Yeshua's promise, et cetera. And we get the wisdom from others. We know when the Lord corrects us. All these are God's guidance. His, his This is the good shepherd in operation as we grow and we stand stronger. To him who has, more will be given, right? And then we'll, we'll understand um, that we're standing by faith, like in Romans 5 it says again you know we 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 rejoice in the hope of the glory of God but we also rejoice in these trials right. why why would we why would we boast and rejoice in trials because if you're if you're really in messiah you understand that this trial as James puts it in chapter 1 count it all joy is because it's going to it's going to help me with perseverance, hupomone, right? Or, or right. Uh, uh, patience or long, you know, I, I think yeah. perseverance is my favorite way of, of translating hupomone. But the idea is that it's not a static there either, because that's, um, what is it? Character, right? Pro- my character gets proven. right? And then the, the proven character brings hope. Am I skipping hope. something, right? Don't and don't, then that yeah. hope does not mm-hmm. leave us doesn't disappoint. <laughs> doesn't disappoint. Why? Because right. of the, the love right. of the God of love of God is in our hearts by right. the Spirit that's given us. In other words, it reaffirms who we are in Messiah. It reaffirms every word of the scripture. It reaffirms who Yeshua is again and again. And we see more of his glory. We see more of our inability to do anything apart from him. And so we right. cling all the more right. to him and flee from sin. And we grow in discernment and wisdom and joy and love and grace and you know all the all the fruits of the spirit, and so this is a back to maybe the enlargement uh, language. This is this. There's a growth here, and and hermeneutics is these principles that I, what I hear. This is my own translation of what Tim you were talking about. Is is this is the uh, the space in which God does these things. He prunes right. us and encourages us and nourishes us and strengthens us and corrects us when we need it. Right. Well, um, let me make boy, if statements. if he didn't correct us, boy, if he did, we have to depend that he will correct us when we need the correction, because we would be like bastards. We would be like children without parents uh, if he didn't. And so we depend on that loving correction, even when it hurts for a moment, we rejoice because it's like, Lord, we don't want to be involved in anything, but what is going to contribute to our work for your kingdom?
2: Right. And I just have to say this about your repeating hermeneutics. This (laughs) This will probably bring up other kinds of things. There is no deeper meaning in the scriptures. There is plenty of deeper application, but the scriptures are to be read and understood in their historical grammatical method. Meaning what? That the writer's meaning is carried along by his words, and we need to find the author's meaning. Don't look for a deeper meaning look for the meaning and then ask the Spirit of God to help you make application of that meaning into your life
1: good that I'm glad I'm glad you said that because that's I, what I'm talking about is the realm of application right exactly. not in, specifically yeah. in the realm of, of yeah. Yeah. so
0: when we were in Ontario we actually said and I should have thought of this um, before we came on air but we actually said that we were going to answer some of these questions we got a lot of really good ones here and as I'm looking through them I'm thinking man these are ones that that we could I mean we could have a whole show just answering these questions we probably have two whole shows just answering These questions, let's look at a couple of these. And then uh, I think we'll save at least one of the really good ones for Messiah Matters more, which we'll have to record either later today or tomorrow. And uh, that'll probably be what the the question that we'll probably try to address in Messiah Matters more is what is the language of angels? So that's that's a that's a little taste of what's to come for our supporters. Um, That's easy. No, 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 no. You're not allowed. You can't. No, you can't. You can't. For now, let's let's go to this. 2 John 1.10, I will read it here in a second. How does a believer practice this? 2 John 10 says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. And now my father, for those who do not know, has a full commentary on the Johannine epistles. And uh, so uh, he has written on this before. And you can... Uh, you can go and and, uh, and, and check it out. Uh, it's online. You can buy it right now. Um, but how would you respond to this? What is the? Uh, how does a believer practice this?
2: Well, the context is clearly one of where the local community is being disrupted by people who have left the community and are seeking to get others to leave as well. And they're doing so with false teaching. They're deceiving people. And so... It's not talking about just an unbeliever. It says in verse seven, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Yeshua Messiah as coming in the flesh, this is the deceiver and the anti-Messiah. Watch yourselves that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teachings of Messiah does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. In other words, these are specifically, in the context, people who have been part of a community, have denied Yeshua, and are actively seeking to get others to deny Yeshua, okay? And so... Um, you know, if someone leaves the community, even someone who denies Yeshua and leaves the community, but is not actively trying to disrupt the community, there's no reason you can't go to that person, or if that person comes to you and try to convince them again of the truth. But this, these are those who are actively seeking to disrupt the community. Um, where is the Proverbs? I'd have to look it up. Six things God hates, yea, seven. <laughs> I'm quoting from the King James Version. Um, but what is the seventh one? The one who sows discord amongst the believers, God hates that. So if someone is actively trying to disrupt by taking those, especially those who are weak in their faith, perhaps, going to those people and saying, don't you know, this is all a bunch of garbage. The Bible isn't true. Should, there's no such person as Yeshua. He never came. It's all a hoax. And trying to get people to deny Yeshua, that's the person that should not even be allowed in, in, into your uh, into your house.
0: So we have a follow-up question in the chat room. Carrie asks, Tim, could you define principles here? Do you mean be guided by the Ten Words or Sermon on the Mount, or so many interpret the Bible piecemeal and make a principle conform to their own thoughts when making decisions?
2: I think principles are to be found in the Scriptures when you have a categorical statement that's made with regard to a negative or a positive. Um, You still have to do it within the context in which it's given, but um if if Yeshua says, uh, or someone says, Don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, that's a principle, okay? And that means, okay, I have to watch my what I say and how I say it, when I say it, and so forth. I have to act in wisdom. Um, th- th- so those kinds of principles, and carries absolutely right the uh, you know, different groups will find principles anywhere they can find them. I think you'd have to be a clear and hopefully repeated. If If you find it one time, you should find it another time, or at least in a similar vein of the, of the scriptures teaching you the same kind of thing uh, more than just, you know, in an isolated incident. Now, an isolated incident might work as long as you keep it in context, okay? When is this principle applicable? It's maybe not applicable across the board. It's only applicable in one kind of situation. So you have to be careful on that.
0: Okay, we have uh, been speaking with my father, Tim Haig, who has, uh, now we are releasing onto our resource a new teaching called The Holy Spirit, His Work in Person. And uh, he, uh, in this series, my father hits on what I would be, what I would consider five of the uh, uh, most uh, debated Questions that people give us, uh, the person of the Holy Spirit. This touches. This one was uh, hard hitting because it touches on what uh, many in the many, many. I shouldn't say many within the mess. Some within the Hebrew roots and Messianic movement have uh, rejected. Uh, the doctrine of the Trinity and or the the personage of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the first lecture addresses. So in the very first lecture, he goes to a very hard-hitting and uh, controversial topic and then uh, moves on to other extremely uh, poignant uh, conversations that are going on right now within the uh, Hebrew Roots, Messianic, and Torah movement. I'd like to thank my father for spending an hour with us. I know that his time is uh, much more valuable than mine and or robs for that matter, and so we uh, appreciate you coming on. And we hope that uh, this has been good for everyone listening. Thank you everyone in the chat room. I would encourage everyone to be a part of this conversation. Give us a uh, shoot us an email or uh, call our comment line. You can call us 253-465-3205. It's 253-465-3205. Or you can also send us an email cheg.com at TorahResource.com, at C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Thank you all so much. We'll see you next week. We hope that this conversation did one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters.